morning. I'm so grateful to uh, have the chance to worship with you this morning. Uh, I bless you this morning in the name of Jesus to receive the comfort and the peace of the Holy Spirit uh, wherever you're at right now. Can you think of a time when something was really something really difficult happened? And you just couldn't figure out where God was or what he was possibly going to do with that situation? Maybe it felt like your whole world had fallen apart. Maybe you suffered through something that was truly tragic. And I know that many of you have experienced uh, a lot of difficult pain or loss in your lives. In that time when it seemed the situation was worst, what were your interactions with God like? Maybe you just cried out to him and questioned him. Maybe you felt like you had trusted in him and he had completely let you down. Did you feel like you were able to speak with him in those moments? Or was it just too difficult to say anything at all? Did you have a sense that God was still working at that time? Did you feel like God was inviting you into something, something special? Was there a sense that, he was, that this was maybe a new opportunity to be especially obedient and honoring to God with what you would or could do? A new character we meet today in Mark probably faced some of these same questions. Could Joseph of Arimathea give us an example of what to do when we can't yet see what God is doing? Last week, Rod led us through the crucifixion and death of Jesus in Mark. We're working our way through Mark, getting near the end. And today, we're continue on, we continue on to Jesus' burial on that same day that he was crucified. So let's look at Mark. This is our passage for today. Mark chapter 15, verses 42 to 47. I'll read, read along with me. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, so as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he, had al- he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So the question is, who is Joseph of Arimathea? So from this passage, we learn that he was a prominent member of the council, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. We also learn from the Gospel of Luke that he was a good and upright man that had not consented to their, the council's, decision and action. And in John 19, we also learn that he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. So, interestingly, although Joseph was a secret disciple of Jesus, he makes a rather bold move at a time when the other disciples were most afraid. Now, we should probably make a side note that we also hear about Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph. They also did what they could. Uh, We see that they were brave and they were still following Jesus after he was killed as well. There was a certain anticipation in their lives as well. Um, They didn't have the same sort of power or or control or or money that 
that uh, Joseph of Arimathea might have had. But they did what they could as well. But looking at Joseph, first he opposed the council before they killed Jesus. But now that Jesus is dead, he actually had to go to Pilate in in a rather public location in order to ask for his body. You would think that if he was afraid of the other Jewish leaders before, he should be absolutely terrified at this point. What was he thinking? What motivated him to act like this when I would expect his fear to actually be the most overwhelming? It says that he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. So was that even true at this moment? Was that what was motivating him even now? Did Joseph actually get, get it even when Jesus' own close disciples didn't? What I wonder is, was he there when Jesus had spoken earlier of his death and resurrection? Because in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, uh, it says, Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him out aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So something had just happened now. So we're jumping back to where uh, we have Joseph of Arimathea coming into the story. So something had just happened that absolutely changed everything for humankind. Jesus had to fully and completely die in order for us to have any hope at all in the face of death and eternity. It was God's plan, just as Jesus had talked about. Also, right before he dies, he even says, it is finished. He had completed all the actual important work of our salvation. From our perspective, all this time later, we always think of Jesus' death and resurrection together because they only happened three days apart, and here we are 2,000 years later. So we have our creeds that talk about Jesus being, he died and was resurrected. But... Well, you don't often think about that time in between where Jesus had died, but he hadn't yet resurrected. So I was curious to figure out how much Jesus had already achieved for us by his death, just his death. So I googled, what what did Jesus' death accomplish? And so I found this great blog by Matt Perman where he outlines six main aspects of our salvation that Jesus achieved with his perfect sacrifice on the cross, Jesus accomplished these things. One, the complete removal of our sin and guilt. In John's Gospel of John, sorry, in John's Gospel, John the Baptist uh, calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Two, the removing of our punishment through his payment by his blood and death and replacing it with God's favor. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Three, the reconciling of our relationship with God by removing what separated us from him. Romans 5.10, For if we, while we were still were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, so much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Number four, redeeming us from the curse of the law, the guilt of our sin, and the power of sin over our lives. Romans 3.24, 
says, we are justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. Five, defeating the powers of darkness. He stripped Satan of his power over us. Satan's power depended completely on unforgiven sin. Colossians 3.15 says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And then six, he substituting himself. He has been the substitute for each of us and the death sentence that we have earned ourselves. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, as Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. So all the benefits of Jesus' death have already been accomplished for our salvation by this time. And so Joseph goes to Pilate. And so, so it's important that Jesus did actually die. Mark had to give the hard evidence that Jesus really was fully dead. So uh, in our passage we read, Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So people that would maybe be skeptical of Jesus' resurrection, uh, they would have to either argue against the fact of all these eyewitnesses that saw Jesus after he, had, he was alive again. Or they would have to refute the fact that he had died in the first place. And so right here at the burial of Jesus, we get some very solid confirmation that Jesus actually had died. And so it kind of puts an official stamp on, on that fact. Um, it's double-checked and confirmed for us by the most reliable official unbiased experts. Pilate was surprised that Jesus only lasted a few hours on the cross. It was designed to be this excruciating um, execution that can drag on for several days before someone actually succumbs to death. Jesus definitely suffered excruciatingly, but his injuries were so great that he didn't last as long as Pilate expected. Pilate got confirmation from the centurion, who absolutely had to be correct in these matters. The stakes are very high for him not to be mistaken. Pilate would never have any reason to doubt the verdict of the centurion. Someone who was such an expert and entrusted with overseeing so many executions knew all the subtleties of the matter. So here's the great twist of this, of this moment. The greatest victory and greatest hope had, been just, had just been won for mankind. But no one really knew. There were clues that something had happened. We had darkness that came over the land when Jesus died for three hours. The thick curtain separating the Holy of Holies and the temple had just ripped from top to bottom. But the clues were not entirely clear yet what had happened. Not to the public, and not even to the disciples. They were still confused and afraid. The twist is that even though complete victory and salvation had been won for mankind at this moment, before the resurrection, this overwhelming victory actually looked a lot like complete and utter failure. Jesus looked like just another failed revolutionary. From the Roman perspective, any possible revolution had been stopped. Crucifixion was used effectively, efficiently, and thoroughly to squash anyone who would challenge the empire or Roman rule. From the Hebrew perspective, Jesus would be confirmed as humiliated and cursed through that same crucifixion. Because in Deuteronomy 21, it says, 
If someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the pole, the body hanging on the pole overnight, but be sure to bury it that same day, because anyone who's hung on a pole is under God's curse. So, he, so even the Jews would have seen just this act of being crucified as he's a cursed person. And it's true. He was cursed, but as part of God's plan. We read in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, but Jesus had rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. I'm sure at the time for Joseph, it was still hard to grasp the full extent of what was happening. He must have been wondering where God was and what exactly he was doing. But Joseph still moved forward, wanting to honor Jesus while not yet knowing what Jesus had already done for him. Just like for us, we can find ourselves in difficult situations where it hurts or we're confused and we can't see the glory of what God is actually doing. However, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. You might have heard the phrase already, but not yet. Maybe not, that's fine. But we use a lot at times to refer to the state that we find ourselves in. For us, like those in the passage today, Jesus had already accomplished all the work of salvation for us. He had completely won the victory over sin by his sacrificial work on the cross by that point already. For them, at that point, no one had yet been given the opportunity to receive that gift. Yet, even though it had been earned, he still had to come back to life to prove it and represent the opportunity for people to receive by faith. We have that opportunity. We can receive by faith that sacrifice that Jesus provided for us. We can have eternal life because we have that proof and we have the opportunity by the Holy Spirit to receive that gift. As well, he had not yet gone, Jesus had not gone, yet gone back to the Father to send the Spirit to be with us. So they had some, all, some more of those not-yets that we already have as alreadies. But our not-yet that we still wait for is when Jesus will return in a way that no one will miss. We already enjoy and participate in the kingdom of God that is here in a spiritual reality, but in the future, it will also be a complete physical reality. In the meantime, we experience pain, failure, being misunderstood, persecution. We live in a world that values much different things than what Jesus values. The world still values power and prestige. While Jesus shed these things, and he leads us by example of how to be obedient to the Father. So Joseph honors Jesus when it takes great boldness. Even though Jesus had already accomplished so much, Joseph had not yet seen evidence that Jesus would be resurrected. Joseph had seen no proof to empower hope, his hope. Where did his boldness come from? Wasn't he afraid? Was he not influenced by the world around him that he thought Jesus had been defeated? He seemed to be still anticipating the kingdom of God. He was willing to act to honor Jesus when he knew all too well that this would cost him all of his own power and prestige. He was risking his own life. We see what happens to those who displease the Jewish leaders and teachers of the law. 
or go in front of Roman power. Jesus had just done both of those, and he had just been killed. So, ironically, he decides to go and do both of those right now. He had a lot to lose, both as a wealthy and influential man. We don't know for sure what happened to him after this. Obviously, he survives this encounter because we have this eyewitness report of what happened and what Pilate said, so we probably assume that Joseph of Arimathea was able to share that with um, other early church leaders, kind of what had happened with him. But we can probably assume uh, that he might have lost everything as far as within the Jewish community. So he had to act quickly because Jesus had died about 3 p.m. and he had to get Jesus buried before the Sabbath started at sunset, which would be about 6 p.m. So he only had a few hours. And his anticipation of God's kingdom motivated him to be bold in a very uncertain time and bravely do actions to honor Jesus. Even though he was right there at ground zero, he couldn't really see the fullness of what God had done. All the magnificent world-changing accomplishments were still hidden to mankind, but he moved forward in the midst of his grief, sorrow, confusion, and fear to risk providing Jesus with a proper burial. He took the huge risk to himself to honor Jesus with what he could. So how do we look forward to the kingdom of God? When it comes to God's kingdom, do we experience, we do experience more certainty in our time. After Joseph did these things, Jesus returned gloriously resurrected. We now have New Testament scriptures to help us understand what occurred and how we can receive Jesus' payment for our sins and have eternal life. We can have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Every single day to guide and, help, and make available the full power of God to participate in God's kingdom, his kingdom actions here and now. Just like Joseph, we can wait for the kingdom of God by honoring Jesus with our actions. Even where it takes great boldness, and we too do this while we can't see with our natural eyes all that God has, has done or what he's currently doing in our midst by his great power. And it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He's preparing us for resurrection life right now as well. So we still look forward to Christ's return and resurrection into eternal life. But until then, we do need to expect that things will still get difficult. We will still experience sorrow and confusion at times, like Joseph might have felt. But Jesus, who we seek to worship and honor, has not yet has not left us alone. We get to experience him with us in the midst of it all. And he consoles and encourages us by his spirit. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. He has accomplished everything for us already. We may have to move forward, like Joseph did, in pain, in confusion, 
in limited and weak bodies and minds, not yet fully understanding what God is doing. But we get to live in the hope of the resurrection as well.